0: Good morning, church. Uh, good to be with you. So glad you're here this morning. Isn't it great just to wake up and it's minus five instead of like minus 35? What a, what a gift. So, the Hildebrand family, we have firmly entered the teenage stage of life. Okay? I, I have felt that this last fall, probably more than ever. My oldest, Annika, she just turned 16. I got a 14 year old. Well, Britt is almost 14. The third one, she's getting close to being a teenager. It's kind of been hitting me lately and triggering all sorts of my own teenage memories. Um, and just kind of bringing to the surface all of those uh, insecurities and inadequacies. And my daughter, she just got her driver's license here in the fall, and she's doing great. Uh, and, and then it made me remember when I went for my driving test in Alberta, and um, it was bad. Like, really bad. Um, I went out. I hadn't been out for probably more than three minutes, and the instructor said, let's go back. And he said this, verbatim. He said, I don't want you to come back here for a very long time. He (laughs) said to me. That seemed to kind of be the theme of my teenage years. Uh, My my daughter, Annika, she just turned 16 in December, which means she can date. And now I'm wishing I had made it 17, right? Not that she's chomping at the bit. I'm kind of thankful for that, right? But um, she can if she wants to. See, so you got to be 16. And so now that we're at that stage, I'm thinking back to when I was a teenager and all of that, my awkwardnesses. I could not talk to a girl to save my life. If there was a girl I was interested in, I kind of, um, I, I let that be known by avoiding her or being mean to her, um, or saying nothing, and it's just, how did I get a wife? God just knew I needed help. So some of you, you know the story about my my wonderful wife, Erica. We met at Bible College, and uh, I I couldn't muster any sort of courage to talk to her, but one day I walked into the the school library there, and there was a big magnet board that had a whole bunch of words you could arrange into sentences and stuff, and I walked in there to find that all of these words had been arranged in a big heart, and in the middle it said, uh, Rusty, ask me out. Erica, and that's like, that was like God just saying, I'm going to give you help here. You need help, buddy, and um, you know, it's worked out, but uh, man, I was just so, I had such low self-confidence. When I was a teenager, I was plagued by low self-confidence. I don't think I've ever actually fully kind of shaken that. It's a bit of a bent that I have. Maybe you do too. I remember as a teenager, I was really insecure about my body. I think I thought everything was wrong about my body. I had these little itty-bitty ears I was insecure about. Why did God give me such tiny ears? And I had big hips. And I'm like, I had kind of like lady hips. And um, so I thought, and I had a small head. I, well, I still do have a small head. I hated every time I played sports, and it was the day where they gave away the, the hats, right? I always had to get like the, the kid-sized <laughs> hat that was six and seven-eighths. And like, I hated it, right? Because I just looked at other people. I had such low self-confidence, and uh, I looked at others who seemed like, man, th- their body was all in the right proportion and um, everything seemed to come easy to them and they could talk to the girls so easy and everything to be, you know, they, they seemed to be successful. Life just seemed easy. And anytime time I had success, I just thought it must be a mistake. I felt like failure was always stalking me around every corner. And so that was kind of my teenage years. And some of that, you know, I, I still have some of the residual, I guess, uh, effect of that. But I really envied people that I thought held, had like high self-confidence that were self-assured. And it seemed to me there were just two types of people, right? There were those with low confidence, self-confidence, and those with high self-confidence. And it seemed like people would tend to lean towards one or the other. And, and you probably lean towards one or the other, I would think. You know, it's, we, we want to divide people into losers and winners Uh, the weak, and the strong, and we all want to be winners. We all want to have high confidence. We all want to be strong. But Paul, in this passage we look at this morning, he's going to show us how to escape this pattern, this pattern of self-confidence, low self-confidence, high self-confidence, and to find true confidence, which is not self-confidence, but we're going to find out is Christ-confidence, And so if you haven't already opened your Bible to Philippians chapter 3, I'd encourage you to do that because we're just going to go through that little by little. These 11 verses, powerful verses. And so we're coming back to a series we began in the fall. We took a bit of a Christmas break. Going through the book of Philippians together, it's this little book, but powerful and profound. Paul speaks more about joy in this letter than any other book of the Bible, uh, which is remarkable because he writes this letter from prison. Everything has been taken from him, his freedom, and maybe even his life. He might be executed. And yet, he's writing this letter to show the Philippian church and us here who go through trials and difficult circumstances to show us how to find joy in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves, okay? And so, he he begins chapter 3 by speaking again of joy. He says in verse 1, he says, "'Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord.'" Now, this is the first time he's added in the Lord to that. He's talked about joy, but now he says, rejoice in the Lord. And he's going to say this a bunch of times yet as we continue going through this letter. Rejoice, not just in anything, rejoice in the Lord. He says, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, for it is a safeguard to you. So if you were here last week, Chopper was preaching. And um, he he had a message about going back to the basics. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I'm not going to apologize for telling you what I've told you before because you need to hear it again, okay? We're going to come back to the gospel, church, because the gospel is the firm foundation you need to build your life on in every way that's going to be a safeguard to you because we have a tendency to want to veer off, right, from this safe place and, and, and kind of... Uh, And and straying the dangerous territory. And so he wants to make sure that they find themselves in in, in a strong position. And so he's going to tell them what he's told them before. He's going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there were some people that were straying uh, away from the gospel. Into some dangerous ways of thinking and living. And he's going to talk about that in the next verse. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. That sounds... Um, pretty, uh, pretty strong language, isn't it? I, I, think, I, I think he's trying to wake them up a little. In the Greek, it's actually stronger than that, okay? the are toned to tone that down a little bit. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Like, who could he possibly be talking about? It must be like the type of people that maybe you know, like they drink too much, they drive too fast. They mistreat women. They swindle old people out of their savings. Those sort of people. That's who he's talking about. Watch out from those sort of evil people. But that's not what he's talking about here. Okay? He's, not, he's not saying protect yourself from these people, but protect yourself from becoming like these people because we have a tendency to do that. So who were they? These dogs, these mutilators of the flesh, well, they were those in the church that insisted that you had to be circumcised to be a Christian. If you don't know what circumcision is, I'm not going to tell you right now. You're going to have to Google it later, but don't. Um, but I think you all know. So these were people that thought that, uh, they were people from a Jewish background that thought in order to be, uh, to be a Christian, to be in right relationship with God, you had to first become a Jew. You had to be circumcised, and you had to keep all that law, all of those rules and regulations that we have in the Old Testament in order to gain God's approval. And he calls these people dogs, which is strong, and like I know today, like to be a dog is a nice thing, right? We, we, we pamper our pets, and we feed our pets better than our kids. There, there are some dogs that eat better than my children, Right? And they're just pampered, these pets. Like back, back in those days, a dog, they were dirty, they were mangy, they were diseased, they were dangerous. They roamed around you to protect them, yourselves from these dogs. And he's just picking up on their language, okay? This is what this type of person would call the Gentiles, the unclean, those that weren't good enough. They would call them dogs. So he's just using their language, right? And actually saying, they are what they accuse other people of being. Watch out against for these type of people who say that you need to keep all these laws in order to gain and live in God's approval. Then he'll continue in verse 3, "'For it is we who are the circumcision.'" They think they're the circumcision because they cut off that little piece of skin? No, no, it's we who are the circumcision. They don't, they don't really know what God even intended with that because he'll say to the Galatians in Galatians 6 verse 15, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. He says it's not about a, fle- a change to the flesh. God's not interested in that. He, he's about heart transformation, heart change. He says, we are those who have become So different that we are a new creation, fundamentally changed, a different orientation in life, a different way of thinking. And now he's going to describe kind of three marks for what a Christian is like, three marks of a Christian. He says, we are the circumcision who, number one, serve God by his spirit. We serve God not in our wisdom and our strength, but we serve God by his spirit because as Jesus taught and the Bible teaches, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins, God actually makes His Spirit to dwell within us, to empower us, to enable us to change, changes our heart, gives us a desire for God, for, for, to, to love God, to find joy in God, to, to behold, to live good, righteous lives. That is God's Spirit working within us, empowering us. So he's saying we are those who rely not on ourselves, our own strength and wisdom, but we are those who rely on God's power. For it is Him that is at work within us. So that's the first mark of a Christian. We serve God in by His Spirit. He says also we are those who boast in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of things you could boast in, and Paul's gonna, about to talk about all sorts of things he used to boast in, but boasts in no longer. Now he says there's only one thing to boast in, only one thing that any Christian should boast in, and he, uh, he'll, he'll put it this way, back in Galatians 6 verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I only boast in one thing, he says, may I boast in Jesus and His cross, may I find glory there, my worth there, joy there, and not anywhere else. He's saying, as Christians, we don't glory in our earthly status, we don't glory in our privilege, we don't glory in our possessions, we don't glory in our achievements, no, we glory in Jesus alone, because we have a tendency to want to glory in all those other things, And you even see this as Jesus is instructing his disciples. Back in Luke chapter 10, he's he's taken them, he's taught them, he's equipped them, they've watched him, now he's going to send them out to do his work themselves. And so he sends out these 72 disciples to proclaim the gospel, to um, heal people, to cast out demons, and they go and they do that. And incredible things happen through them. And so they come back and they're just overjoyed. And it says this in Luke chapter 10 verse 16, they say, uh, sorry, verse 17, the 72 disciples returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're just, they were like super pumped about what they did. And Jesus, he, he knows the tendency of our hearts and right away, he's gonna kind of speak some caution into them. And, and he says this, a few verses later, he says, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says there's there's really only one place to rejoice, right? to boast, find your glory. It's in in this reality that through Him, our names can be written in heaven, which means our place is secure there. I mean, because when you write your name somewhere, that's what that means, right? Your spot is safe. It's reserved. It's kept there for you. Right when you reserve at a restaurant, when you show up, that means there's a table for you. And when you when you buy a plane ticket, it means when you show up to the gate at the airport, there's a seat for you. And when you book at a hotel, it means when you show up to that hotel after a long day's drive, you're not going to find a place without any room for you. You're not going to be turned away. There's going to be a room for you. Uh, which as I was brought back. Um, a memory, like I, I, if there's something I boast in, I mean, I, there's, there's things I tend to boast in. I boast in my trip planning ability. Some of you know I love to plan trips. I'm always planning trips, always going somewhere. You can just ask me, Rusty, where are you planning a trip to now? I go on almost none of the trips I plan, all right? Um, but but I've become kind of proud on how good I can plan trips. And so Erica, just leave it to me. She asks questions. Honey, <laughs> what do you think? i got it under control. It's what I do. I'm so good at it. I plan these trips. I don't, there's no little details missed. So a couple summers ago, we were driving down to the Black Hills, the Badlands there. I don't know if you've ever been to the Badlands. Beautiful, but desolate. There's only one hotel in all the Badlands. And it's, uh, because it's the only lodging, it's, you have to book months and months in advance to get a spot, which I had done, of course, because I'm good at this. And so this is our first stop on this two-week vacation. It's a long drive from Stonewall, Manitoba to the Badlands, South Dakota. Hot summer day, 13 hours on the road. We're exhausted. Can't wait to get in an air-conditioned room, you know, fall into bed. Uh, there's a pool there. And so I get there. Kids are in the van. Wife's in the van. Walk in there. This is my name. Check it in. What's your name? Rusty Hildebrand. Yeah, don't see anything. No, it's, it's there. I, uh, I booked this a long time ago. Uh, try Rustin Hildebrand. Maybe it's under Rustin Hildebrand. No? Are you sure, sir? Did you did you you sure it was today? Did you, is today the right date? Well, yeah, yeah. Just look more. It's there. And um, I was very polite. And uh, yeah, she found it. She found it. Yes. Next Saturday there is a booking for you. And I thought back, no, yes. (laughs) Yes, I planned this trip, and then I shifted the trip a week, and I forgot to change this reservation. And I said, is there anything we can do? And I went back to the car. That was a bad walk back to the car. Like, there's no spot anywhere. We've been on the road 13 hours, and my wife was not happy. Nope. So I went back in. Is there anything you can do? She said, well, we do have this this shack (laughs) that we could offer to you. It does have a couple bunk beds in it. The door was like broken on the hinges. There were spider webs everywhere in there. All the bedposts had spiders. There's spiders calling. Do you know how long I had to repay my wife for that one night? You know, we stayed there and... um, that, it was a bit of a humbling experience, but, you know, like, I, I, I was so boastful in my trip planning, like, there's going to be a spot there for me. And Jesus says here, don't boast in any, don't boast in you. Boast in the fact that your name has been written in heaven. Jesus says. And we're going to see how that happens. So Paul says, this is a mark of the Christian. That we find in Christ and Him alone our source for security, for joy. We're not interested in drawing attention or elevating ourselves, but in drawing attention to Christ and elevating Christ, boasting in Him. The third mark, he says, is that a Christian puts no confidence in the flesh. We are those who put no confidence in the flesh. Flesh there just doesn't mean actual flesh alone. It means our self, the intellect, right? our physical strength, right? our abilities, our gifts. It means our self. We don't put any confidence. What sort of confidence is he talking about? He's talking about confidence in God's approval. Confidence that we have the approval and the favor of God. He says, we are those who put no confidence in ourselves. Because Paul is going to show us that he was someone who did put confidence in himself to have right standing with God. In fact, he's going to say, man, if you could build a profile of someone who had, could have confidence in themselves before God, he said, it's going to be me. It's gonna be me. And then he lists his credentials and it's like a resume for, for the sort of person that he's warning them against. He's gonna show them where he had put his confidence. So he says this. He says, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he rattles them off. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. You can throw those up there um, Rob, but so seven things he lists in his resume. Now you're going to read that and you're going to go, That doesn't really impress me. Like that, that, that this seems very first century Jewish, not really my context. I'm not, you know, no one here is putting their confidence in their circumcision, right? You're probably not from the tribe of Benjamin. So, I mean, it would be easy to gloss over that and say, well, that doesn't really have anything to do with us, but we ought not here because what we see is in there, there, there are categories for confidence that we certainly can find our hearts being drawn towards, okay? And so I think if we, if we look at these a little more carefully, we, we can see ourselves and maybe some of our own tendencies. Here he says that he was circumcised on the eighth day, which maybe, you know, you know in, at that time amongst the Jews was kind of, uh, was that ritual that initiated them into the people of God. It was that sign that they belonged to the people of God. And, and so what he's saying, I think, is don't put your confidence in rituals. Feel like that you are in God's good books, that you have his approval, right? And and don't put your confidence in how often you're reading your Bible, the frequency with which you're praying, your church attendance, and we can do that, can't we? After the first service, just talking to a lady that said she she really struggles with that, right? Feeling like you know if she doesn't read her Bible and if she misses a day or if she she has some standard, she feels God has it. If she doesn't measure up with these activities, that um, she is outside of God's blessing, maybe she's not a Christian. We can, we can try to put our confidence in these rituals, church attendance, praying, reading the Bible. And he says, we are not to put our, our, our confidence there. He says, I put my confidence in being of the people of Israel, being his ethnicity, right? He was a descendant of Abraham, the chosen people of God, the special people. He was proud of his ethnicity, and he thought it counted for something, right? Right? What he's saying is, don't put your confidence in ethnicity. We probably don't do that so much anymore. We still have some vestige of racism, this idea that by nature of our DNA or our race or whatever, that we might be superior. But what he's saying is, God, there's no advantage or disadvantage based on who you are, your ethnicity, your skin color. It means nothing before God, right? Racism is antithetical to the gospel. Don't put your confidence in your ethnicity. He says, I put my confidence in that I was from the tribe of Benjamin. You see, even within Israel, there were 12 tribes. A special one was Benjamin. The city of Jerusalem was in the tribe of Benjamin's land. And in fact, in history, when, when, the, when Israel split into two nations, the northern ten tribes were wicked and they left. Right? And the southern two tribes remained faithful. right, Judah and Benjamin. So he had some pride that, that he was a part of this line, this lineage. It gave him this rank in his mind. And I think he's saying, don't put your confidence in your rank or in your family. In your lineage, in your family name. Yeah, you're a youngster. Are you the only youngster here? I was looking over to see a whole bunch of youngsters, and there's only one. Youngstra. Any other youngsters? Youngstra. Youngstra. Any other youngsters? Some of you are visiting. You're like, what in the world is going on? (laughs) Every church has names, right? Like, like clans started the church, right? Just big fan. Like every church got those, and maybe like from one of those, or where you got like you're part of some dynasty, which is, hey, it's awesome to be youngster. I kind of have that background myself, in a sense. Pastor's kid. He's saying. We, we have a tendency to maybe put confidence in, like, our pedigree, where we come from, you know, what our last name is, whatever our rank might be. That's what he did. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, don't put your confidence in that. That can't be found there. He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. What does that mean? I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Well, there were Hebrews that weren't really that Hebraic. They were Hellenized, right? They, which means Hellenic is Greek. It was the, they were in the Greek world, which was predominant. Paul was Saul. He's from Tarsus, a Greek city. A lot of the Jews would have become very Greek in their culture, in their traditions, in everything. But not him! He had retained all of his ancestors' traditions. He'd embraced that. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And we can put our confidence, I think, sometimes in our traditions and in our cultural heritage. And I see a tendency of that even today today. People wanting to kind of go back and reclaim some sort of cultural heritage, some sort of traditions in which they put their hope and find their meaning. Their confidence. He says, don't put your hope in tradition or cultural heritage. He says, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. A Pharisee, they were like the cream of the crop when it came to rule keeping. They made rules. They made extra rules to keep them from getting too close to the other rules. They loved rules. And they kept every one of them. And he says, I was a rule keeper par excellence. And he's saying, don't put your confidence in your rule keeping that you always say the right words and you never say the wrong words. And you check every little box of the commands of do's and don'ts. Don't put your confidence there. He says, as for zeal persecuting the church, he found confidence in his own own zealousness, his passion. What he's saying is, I was so passionate I was so sincere, my my convictions were so strong in my faith, I actually traveled to persecute the church. I killed Christians. That's how seriously I took my faith. I was zealous. I think what he's saying is don't don't put confidence in your passion, in your enthusiasm. Sometimes we can mistake passion, right, with um, faith. You'll maybe hear people say, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere as long as you just really believe it, saying, don't put your confidence in your passion. And lastly, seventhly, he says, I I put my confidence in the fact that I was righteous. I was faultless. He's not saying that he was without sin. A Jew would never say that. What he was saying is that he led an exemplary life. If you wanted to say, who lives a good life to be modeled after? Paul. Man, he's, he's a good man. What he's saying is, don't put your confidence in your own goodness, before God. And so many of us do this, or, or you know, we have this tendency to, to measure ourselves by, this 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 goodness measurement. You know, when I ask people in conversation, sometimes we get to a point where I I I, ask, I say, hey, like if. You were to die and you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say to him? And I've asked a bunch of people that question. And almost without fail, I get the same answer. Well, let's say, I've lived a pretty good life. I've lived a pretty good life. Like, I tried hard. I think I did good. You know, I was a good husband. I was faithful to my wife, raised my kids, worked hard, honest. You know, a good life. You know, we have a tendency to, to, to kind of have the scale from like perfect, Mother Teresa, right? Down to the bottom, Hitler. And we're, we're probably closer to Mother Teresa than we are at Hitler and God probably grades on a curve. So we're hoping. And there's a lot of people and maybe you're one of them in the room right now walking around and what you're putting your confidence in is your own righteousness. You're putting your hope in your goodness before God. How would you answer that question? If you were to stand for God and He were to ask you, why should I let you in here? What would you say? Where are you putting your confidence? What will enable you to to face a big challenge in life? You know, losing your job bankruptcy with confidence. What, What will enable you to maybe lose a marriage? with confidence and feel secure what will enable you to lie in your deathbed just just a few last heartbeats away from death with confidence paul had put his confidence in all of these other things in self in flesh but no longer He says he has found a better confidence. In verse 7, he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider them loss for the sake of Christ. He's using accounting terms, gain, loss, right? Gain is a credit, loss is a debit. And he's saying all these things I thought were to my credit before God. And now what I realize is that they are loss. I consider them debits for the sake of Christ. Everything that he thought was in the credit column is actually in the debit column it's actually a loss, not a gain, because all of those things, all of the confidences he found in those things, kept him from finding true confidence in the only place it can be found, which is in knowing Jesus Christ. Those, those, those were a poor replacement. They were a subtraction, not an addition to confidence. Confidence. The problem was not in that what Paul was doing was bad things. He wasn't doing evil things. He was doing good things. The problem was why he was doing them. The confidence he was trying to find in them. The attitude in which he was doing them. That was the problem. He says in verse 8, he continues, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider all of those things that I thought were to my credit, that I was putting my confidence in, I consider all of those things garbage. What does your version say there? Rubbish? Does anyone's version say poop? Your version says poop? Oh, it says dung. Okay, okay. yeah. So garbage, that's, that's probably a softened word there. You know, like this literally is the Greek word scubala. And he's intending to use a harsh word. He's, he's, he's wanting people that are starting to doze in church like some of you going to hear a word that they don't expect to hear in church and go, what? What, what, what did he say? Scubala? So, this, this is, has a bit of an offensiveness to it, a vulgarity to it. In an intended so, he's, he's saying that all of these things in which he put his confidence in, in himself, he considers them poop, human excrement, feces, caca, doo-doo, <laughs> turd, crap. we will stop there. I'm going to really get myself in trouble. Right? He's trying to be a little vulgar. He's trying to highlight the difference, right, of of, of the value, of the quality of the confidence versus what he found in himself versus what he he describes as the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. He has found a security, a joy, a confidence in Jesus that, that so far surpasses everything that he had that it made all of that stuff poop. he had all of those things and he lost them and he found that they were ultimately worthless essentially what he's uh, because he's found he's found this in Jesus Christ he's found this standing with God this approval with God that comes only through righteousness this is what he says in verse 9 He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He finds his confidence now not in what he has done and who he is, but in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so his answer to that question, what would I say now, if I stood before God and God said, why should I let you in here? Before, I would have said, like, I've tried my best. I've done a really good job following all your rules. He says, I wouldn't answer that anymore. Now I would say, I think you should let me in because of what Jesus has done for me. that I, in, in, uh, in whom I have put my faith. It's not my own faith. It's something that um, I, I have found in him. He says, a righteousness that I am given, not through my efforts, but through faith in Jesus. When Jesus bore our penalty for our sin on the cross, he took that and he gave us in exchange, his righteousness. That he credits to our account. That we don't earn and we can't lose. That we receive by faith in Jesus. And he says, he has found something... uh, of surpassing worth and if you want to boil that down to an equation maybe it's this here what he's saying is Jesus plus nothing equals everything Jesus plus nothing equals everything and if you try to add to Jesus if it's Jesus plus something you actually take away from, your, from that confidence right? Jesus plus nothing equals everything or if we do math because I'm relearning math you now they have teenage daughters who are bringing their homework home Does anyone remember how to do long division? Why do we do that? So how to rearrange equations. So that would mean everything minus Jesus equals nothing. This is essentially what he's saying. He's saying, Christians, don't add, try to add anything else to your confidence in the flesh, any of your own efforts or any of your rank or status or anything like that. Anything you try to add to Jesus actually detracts from your confidence, your security, your joy. And Satan wants us to do that. He wants, he wants to destroy our confidence in Christ's efficient work by saying, you didn't do enough of that, you gotta do more of that. Right? You didn't do a good enough job over here. Right? You really gotta try harder there. There's all these ways in which we can find our, our confidence drawn away from the only place that, in which we can actually truly find it, which is in Christ's sufficient work for us a work that we receive through faith alone. We're declared righteous, approved by God, names written in heaven, not by our efforts to be good, but by Jesus' perfect goodness that is credited to us through faith. Salvation is the work of Christ. It is a gift of God's grace from beginning to end. I just wanted to reiterate that because they were straying. Your confidence rests not in who you are and what you have done, but on who Christ is and what he has done. And isn't that better? Because what are you going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do tomorrow? I thought I booked the hotel, but man, I failed. I guess I didn't. I made a mistake. He's saying, why would I put my confidence in myself? When I could put my confidence in something so, so much better. The finished work of Jesus. So that's where true confidence is found. In, he says, in knowing Christ, he says, I want to know Christ. That's the desire of his heart. I want to know Christ. Um, when you know Christ better, your confidence in him grows. And when, when he says no Christ, he, says, he, did, he, did, he didn't say no about Christ. I want to know Christ. I, I, I want fellowship with him. Um, I want to know who He is, and I know, want to know what He's done, and I want to know what He's promised more deeply, more intimately, because as I do that, I find my strength, my confidence growing. There's a quote that I read in uh, the daily reading that Eric and I are doing through um, our, uh, the Read Through the Bible program. It said, kind of caught my ear. You can only trust someone you know, and you can only know someone by spending time with them. You can only trust someone you know. And you can only know someone by spending time with them. Like my daughter, who can date if she came home and said, "I found a guy, and we're getting married tomorrow." I'd be like, "No, you're not. I'm going to lock you in your room." Right? You don't even know him. It takes time. You can only trust someone that you know, and you can only know someone by spending time with them. So when I think when Paul says, "I want to know Christ," he's saying, "I want to pursue Christ. I want to know I want to spend more time." Right? And this is this is why we pray personally and together. This is why we read our Bible personally and together. This is why we gather. It's not to check the box and feel like, ooh, I did what I needed to do to stay in God's good books. I have to to keep topping up the bucket. No, that's not why we do this. Right? it's, It's not to build up credit for God. It's because we have all that credit through Jesus and we can do all of this to get to know him better to find more and more joy in him, more and more security in him. It benefits us to know him better because I get stronger. And this is the cry of Paul's heart. I want to know Jesus better. And then he expands on that a little bit. In two ways, he says, I want to know Christ, in verse 10, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know God's resurrecting power. Did you know you can know that? Did you know if you're a Christian, you, you ought to know that? I mean, this is the promise to every Christian is, is the, power of, uh, the power of God at work in us and through us. And this is how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. His incomparably great power for who? Who? Us who believe. Not us who do, not us who strive, us who believe. His incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. As believers, as Christians, we can know God's resurrection power in our life. And what does that actually mean when Paul says, I want to know that power? You can only know the power of God by exercising faith. Faith. The only way, right? Because faith is stepping outside the boundaries of your own abilities. If you only ever stay inside the boundaries of what you already know, and the strength you already have, and the resources that are yours, you will never know the power of God. There'll never be any reason to. You'll never give Him an opportunity if you never exceed the boundaries of your own abilities. Like Peter being called out of the boat by Jesus onto the water. Are you sure, Lord, you know, there were some that stayed in the boat. Peter was called out onto the water. He experienced the power of God. We see that in the life of Abram. When God comes to Abram and says, I want you to leave your father's house and his town and go to the place I'm going to show you. And, and Abram, I'm sure, what place? Well, the place I'm going to show you. Well, how long will it take to get there? Well, I'll show you. Well, which, like how much do I need to bring? I'll show you. Just go. Right? Faith is leaving on the journey before you know the destination. Faith is leaving on the journey before you have certainty that you have enough for the journey. Jesus said to his disciples, you know guys, there's going to be times when you're going to have to stand before others and give account for your faith and don't worry when you do because when you open your mouth, words will be given to you. You're not going to have them in advance. Faith is opening your mouth before you have the words. It is following the call of Christ, whether it's a command in here, you go, man, I don't think I could do that. I know he says that, but I couldn't do that can't obey that. Or whether it's just something you feel like God has laid on your heart, a personal call to you, calling you beyond yourself. That's what faith is. It's stepping outside the boundaries of your own abilities and allowing yourself to be in a place where it has to be God's power at work. And here's the thing. I think there's just A lot of us Christians who aren't really experiencing the power of God because we're not doing anything that requires it. If you never follow God's call beyond your own power, you'll never experience His power. So when Paul says, I want to know resurrection power, that doesn't mean just sitting there and waiting for something to fall from the sky. It means I want to live by faith. I want to follow you beyond my own ability, my own wisdom, my own strength to see your power at work in me and through me. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Do you want to know that power? Do you know that that power in your life? Do you want to know the next thing? He says, I want to know the power of Christ's resurrection and I want to know participation in his sufferings. Anyone want that? Any takers. Not only did Paul want to know God's power, but he said, like, I I want to know the pain of Jesus. You know, if we follow Jesus, we too will encounter suffering and sorrows as Christ did. And, And Paul knew that in his own life, right? He had lost it all. He had lost his family, his friends. For following Jesus. He lost his freedom. He's maybe going to lose his life. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his privilege. He's lost his rank. He's lost almost everything. And it's not something that he resists. It's not something that he runs from. Because he says, I want to know participation in the sufferings of Jesus. Because Paul has come to understand that when we are weak, then we are strong. It's through trials and tribulations and sufferings and sorrows that we can come to know God's grace better. To deepen our joy as it's taken away from all of these other things and put firmly on the only place that can sustain it eternally, which is Jesus Christ. And so there was that time when he begged God, Lord, would you just take this thorn away from my flesh? And he said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. And so Paul says, okay then, whatever happens to me, I'm gonna boast in the Lord for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I want to know you, Christ, to know that resurrection power and to know participation in your sufferings because those are ways that we know Christ. He says, he closes in verse 11, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And I've read that before and I've thought, is he unsure that he's going to make it to the end? Like, man, I hope I make it in. I hope I don't make it to the end there. Like, if I just... Pursue this enough, God enough, maybe I'll make it. That's not what he means when he says somehow to attain it. He's not saying maybe I will or maybe I won't. He's saying one way or the other I'm going to attain this. I don't know how I'm going to get there. Is Jesus going to come back before I go? Am I going to have to live a long life and die? Am I going to die in prison at the executioner's hand? Am I going to die an old man in my bed? I don't know what I don't know what path I'm going to take to get there, but I know where it ends. I know how my story ends. It ends in victory in Jesus. Not because of anything I have done. There is no confidence in that. The only confidence we can have is that which we receive from Christ. And what He has done that we receive through faith. And this is what He wants for us. To be able to live in this. Not not low self-confidence, not high self-confidence, but Christ-confidence. For, for true security, true joy, are found in Him. And that makes everything else kind of pale in comparison. Everything else then is just scubala. So, bringing this to a close, where are you finding your confidence? Where are you finding your confidence, your security, your joy, Maybe you're someone like Paul here before he had this change. Maybe you would have answered like Paul when he said, I, I try, I'm try i really good, like I'm doing my best, I'm trying to be good enough for God. Maybe that's how you think, how you'd answer that question. And I just want you to, to know that God invites you to find a better confidence today. He invites you to stop trusting in yourself, to lay that down, and to put your trust fully in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He invites you to receive that today. And that's something you can receive just by expressing your repentance and your faith in Jesus. And if that's something any of you here this morning you want to talk about, you want to do that. You want to find your confidence in Him. Um, we have a prayer team afterwards in the fireside room. They'd love to talk with you. I'd love to talk with you at any point about that to help you find your confidence in Him. But maybe, maybe you're a Christian here and, and you're just someone who um, you, you know all the right answers. But maybe if you actually just kind of look at your life, maybe you can find those little ways where, 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 your, where your confidence, where your hope has kind of strayed away. And, and you've been trying to measure yourself and kind of earn God's favor in other ways. Maybe this morning there's um, some way in which you kind of need just to return to the center. And and uh, find that fully in Jesus again. Uh, I want to invite you to pray this prayer, just today, but then each day this week. Um, these are the words of Jesus. Today I receive that. Uh, sorry. Today I rejoice that you have written my name in heaven. I put my trust in you. I just want to invite you to this going into this week. to to begin each day with that prayer, right, as a way of just kind of centering yourself, your joy, your confidence um, in Jesus Christ and His sufficient work for you. Pray that prayer, today I rejoice that you have written my name in heaven, I put my trust in you. I just want to give us a moment to, to begin that now and pray that prayer together. So I invite you to bow your head. And I just want to give you a moment just between you and God. Maybe you just want to express that in your own heart in relationship with Him. Father, We're just so grateful today that you have um, built for us this just strong, unfailing, unshakable foundation on which we can build our lives. Lord, And it's not a foundation of our own building, uh, of our work, but Lord, it's, um, it's a foundation built on who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, it is just an amazing reality that you look down on us, sinful, broken, faulty People, and yet you love us so much that you send your son into the world to bear our sin on the cross, that we might just be given as a gift his righteousness, given his approval, Lord, that we could uh, have, have uh, Jesus credited to our account, and that through faith in him, apart from anything that we could do, we can find um, a home with you, that we could have your approval that we can have our names written in heaven. So, Lord, that no matter what happens in this life, that we can live with this incredible confidence that we are yours. Lord, if there's any way in which we are seeking um, this kind of security in any other way, seeking to relate to you in any way other than through Christ, would you just bring us back to that, Lord? Um, and just renew our confidence there in Him, Lord, and just help us to, to find our joy um, in You and what You've done for us. So, God, um, we just thank You for all that You have done, and uh, we just pray that we would be those who, um, Jesus, seek You, that that would really be the prayer of our hearts, Lord, that we would just seek to know You better, better, to love you more, to find our joy more rooted in you, Lord. Just, just help us to be able to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.